and uh, going to let our kids go back to their class and get dismissed. Good job not running, guys. celebrating mothers celebrate with her a little bit for a lunch lunch I hope everybody has plans um, and uh, regardless of what kind of mom you grew up with call your mama today if you're able call your mama today and just tell her happy Mother's Day we're going to go to the book of First Kings, and we're going to go to chapter 17, First Kings chapter 17, and uh, I'm going to preach a sermon titled Overcoming the Odds, Overcoming the Odds, and um at the end of service, we'll, we'll conclude and we'll have a gift for our mothers uh, and for the ladies in the church. Every, every lady will get one. Um, so, um, how many of you know that we live in days that are increasingly, increasingly unfair? And specifically, when I think about the unfairness, we're living in days that are particularly unfair to mothers and unfair to women. Uh, motherhood is not as honored as it once was. Today, if you're a mother who chooses to put family in front of a career, you can be thought of as being odd. You're different. Last week, I mentioned that 41% of babies are born uh, outside of wedlock. 31% are born to single mothers. And so the idea of being a mother in a home with a father has been completely altered by society. And uh, it is becoming a challenge. There's a challenge to motherhood, to parenthood, to uh, regular family unity. We see that all throughout society. And so it's a day of great challenges for motherhood. And the odds the odds seem overwhelming for all who are trying to be a great mother. And that's what I want to talk about today, not specifically about being a great mother, but I want to talk about, uh, regardless if you're a man, a woman, being great example to your children and to the people who are watching you. And the Bible over and over gives us examples of people, of what it means to overcome in a very wicked society. And that's really what we're talking about today. We're not talking about anything else. We're talking about overcoming the overwhelming odds in a sinful society. 
Our kids today have access to things that will teach them values that we don't hold. I found in our own family there, that, that a major portion of work in our family goes into just monitoring the kind of things that are allowed into my son and daughter's life. Whenever I was a kid, most of you probably can remember this at some point, uh, you had mainly three, maybe four channels on the television, and you had the only time I can remember watching cartoons most of the time was on Saturday morning. And most of those Saturday morning programs that I remember, it was uh, there was some kind of a good, for the boys at least, a good and bad, and the good was always kind of the upstanding, the G.I. Joe there was never this conflict of character uh, that you find today where a, where a character can be good and bad and examples gives examples of both. But instead, there was kind of this defining line of, well, this is a good guy and this is a bad guy. And we always wanted to be the good guy. We wanted to have the example in front of us of what it meant to be good. And so... Just thinking from my own childhood, it was a little bit easier for my parents to allow some things to happen that they didn't feel they had to specifically be on top of and monitor everything that was coming because by and large, it was teaching pretty good, wholesome values to children. But it's nearly impossible now to keep influences away from children today that will pull them in ways that the world would have them travel, and that direction is often away from God. So the question becomes, what is a mother to do? What is a father to do? What are parents to do? I want to show you a biblical example of what a mother can do in a sinful society that will point their child in the right direction. And this applies whether your children are at home or they're full grown, it applies. Paul pointed out a young man named Timothy who had an example from his mother and grandmother. 2 Timothy 1 and 5 says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. And what I want to talk about is I want to talk about that kind of faith. The faith that is an example that stands out above everything else. And that kind of faith is not exampled just in difficult times, although it rises to the top in difficult times. That faith has to be present there. It has to be there in place before the hard time ever hits. And faith is the, over, is the thing that will help you overcome the overwhelming odds. When the will of, Harry, of Henry Hines, the, the wealthy distributor of the famous 57 varieties of Hines, Hines 57 sauce, how many people had that and like it? I like that stuff. It's good. Uh, I like it on a burger. It's really tasty. When his... Will was read, it was found to contain the following confession. Looking forward to the time when my earthly career will end, I desire to set forth at the very beginning of this will as the most important item in it, a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
I also desire to bear witness to the fact that throughout my life, in which there were unusual joys and sorrows, I have been wonderfully sustained by my faith in God through Jesus Christ. This legacy was left me by my consecrated mother, a woman of strong faith, and to it I attribute any success I have attained. Now, I think what he writes there just kind of sums it all up beautifully because when you think about life, there are going to be unusual joys, there are going to be sorrows, there are going to be struggles, there are going to be trials, but he talks about the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith in God that carried him through it. And then he points directly to a single source and he says, this legacy, a legacy of faith was given to me by my mother. Now the question becomes begged, where did his mother get it from? Did she attain it somehow? Did someone pass it on to her? Let me just tell you today without going any further, it doesn't matter what kind of mom you had in your life. Because if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can become the mother that passes on a legacy to a child. And it doesn't matter when you start in your life, that legacy can be passed on at any moment and any time. My own family, whenever um, I got to digging into the history of our family, and I like that kind of stuff. I like hearing the history of, of families. I'm fifth or sixth generation in the church. Prior to that, our family were no good people. None. My great-great-grandmother, excuse me, great-great-great-grandmother, uh, is believed most likely to be a small-town prostitute. And she would clean hotels, and on the side of cleaning the hotels for the travelers, she provided other services. So she was a small-town prostitute. It was her son that first came into experience the baptism of the Holy Ghost and experienced God. And it was her son that brought her to a service and said, Mom, you've got to come see what I found. And in that one revival in what was called a brush arbor in those days, they would set up uh, and put leaves and branches over a brush arbor in Louisiana and create kind of a tent outside out of natural materials that they would gather up off the ground. It was in that setting that God changed our family heritage forever. And so a legacy starts when God starts to work in a family. So it doesn't matter, maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking about, well, my mom didn't have that kind of faith, or my mom wasn't a mom of faith. I'm talking to you that you can be that person of faith that that legacy starts with. It doesn't have to be about what was passed on before. It can be about what's going to be passed on from now. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the faith that overcomes overwhelming odds. And when it comes to facing the overwhelming odds of a sinful society, for some reason, Godly moms can get God's attention. Godly moms can get God's attention. In 1 Kings 17, we have the story of Elijah. Now, Elijah has prophesied that there will be no rain to come until Israel repents. 
And he's prophesied that this thing is going to happen, and it's going to be for three years that there's going to be no rain. Verse 7, where we're going to pick up and begin reading, it says it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. God had told Elijah, since there's not going to be any rain, there's not going to be any food, you go to this brook, and in this brook, I'm going to sustain you. And so it was there that God had supplied food from crows, that the water was coming down off of the hill, and he would drink from that brook. And if you study into it, it's not really a beautiful picture of survival in tough times. When God does something, it affects everyone and everything. And so here he is. He's eating the food the crows would bring to him. He's drinking from the brook. But he finds himself in trouble because there's been no rain. And it doesn't matter how on your side God is. When God does something this big, everyone will be affected. The water in the brook starts to dry up. There's nothing left to drink. And so the word of the Lord come, came to him saying, Arise, go to Seraphith, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And so Elijah, in his trouble, he asked God, God, what do I need to do? And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Elijah, you go over to Seraphith. And over there, I have this widow that I've prepared. She's going to prepare for you. Now, I just imagine Elijah thinking about having to approach a widow. Widows are poverty. They they would have been in poverty in this society because it was a male-dominated society. But you know, it's interesting. When God needed a vessel to work through to sustain the prophet who had prophesied the very thing they were in. He didn't choose a king somewhere. He didn't choose some general in an army. He didn't choose some man. Instead, he chose a mom. He chose a widowed mom that he could use to sustain the prophet. Verse 10 says, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring, bring me a little cup of water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little jar of oil. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me. And afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. A widow with one child. She would have been the lowest, most impoverished situation in all of society. And that's the person God chooses to send Elijah 
to. Why would God ask a woman with no means, no ability to care for herself, no husband to take care of her, a son that is dependent upon her, no one helping her, why would God choose a woman, a widow woman with a child, suffering herself to take care of Elijah? You know, I think it's because God knows the heart of a mother. The real heart of a mother will give even when there is nothing left to give. The real heart of a mother will do everything and anything they can to try and help and help and help. I can remember watching uh, my own family. My mom would continuously do things for my baby brother, even though it was, in my mind, was kind of wasted. But she would keep on doing it. And I kept thinking, Mom... What are y'all doing? Stop. Stop. He's, it's not helping him. But it didn't matter. The heart of a mother said, I, I've got to help my child. I've got to help my baby. And a mother will give even when there is nothing left to give. That's why God chose this woman. He saw a heart that would be obedient to what was asked of it. And if a mother can do that and have faith that God will sustain her, she can overcome any odds that stand in front of her. Years ago, a young mother was making her way across the hills of South Wales, carrying in her arms a tiny baby. She was overtaken by a blinding blizzard. She never, ever reached her destination. When the blizzard had subsided, her body was found by searchers beneath a mound of snow, but they discovered that before her death, she had taken off all of her outer clothing and wrapped it around her baby. And when they unwrapped the child to their surprise and joy, they found the baby was alive and well. She had mounded her body over his and given her life for her child in proof of the love a mother has for a child. Years later, that child, David Lloyd George, grown to manhood, became Prime Minister of Great Britain and without a doubt, one of England's greatest statesmen. Just an example of what a mom will do to protect a child. God never looks for people who have the most money to do His work. Jesus never told anyone what you need is more money. He, he does not look for someone with the most power and the most authority. He looks for someone with a willing heart. That's what he looks for. In our society, our kids don't need rich mothers. They need mothers who are willing to give, to care, who have faith, who live as an example before them. Your kid will never care what kind of car that you drive. They'll never care what shoes you wear on your feet. They won't care the name brand of your handbag. They don't care about that. But what they will notice and what they will care about is if you love them, if you care for them, if you invest in them, if you take time for them, if you're obedient to God when God asks you of something, when you have faith, when you're up against overwhelming odds, when you stand up for righteousness and holiness in a sinful society, they will take note of that. They will notice. They'll notice when you go to God with your prayer. They'll notice whenever you go to 
God with your need. They'll notice where you turn to in times of trouble. That's what they'll notice. Being obedient would seem foolish for this woman. Being obedient would have seemed foolish. And as a matter of fact, Elijah would have been scoffed at as being some religious, selfish religious leader who was asking a widow for her last dime. God's economy works different than the world's economy. Obedience would change her life forever because over a three-year period when she had no way of of providing for herself, providing for her son, the simple fact that she was obedient and put God's will before her own gave her the ability to continually pour out oil from 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 that pot and to continually dip her hand in and pull out flour and prepare a cake for her family. Could she imagine what God was going to do with her simple act of obedience in that limited supply of flour and oil? Could she imagine? Can you imagine what God is going to do with your faithfulness in your family? Could my... Could my great-great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandmother, could they imagine what one act of faith would do for a legacy in our family. I'm telling you, don't give up. Don't let go of your faith because there's a legacy of overcoming the overwhelming odds that is being passed down. And it's never too late. Never underestimate God's work, even when you seem to have little to contribute, because all he needs is some faith. And he can even work when there's no faith. When he came to the tomb of Lazarus, there was no one saying, Lord, raise him up. Lord, pull him out of there. They were saying, if you'd been here, you're a little bit late. We're glad you're here. If you'd been a week earlier... And there was no faith there except for what Jesus Christ intended to do. Notice what Elijah tells her. He says, do not fear. You see, fear is the one thing that stands between most of us and the miraculous things that God plans to do. Fear is the one thing that stands between us and the miraculous things God plans to do. Because fear will rob you of God's blessings. Fear will steal from you what God is intending to do. And the enemy will use fear. He will maximize and he will grow that fear as big as it can be in your life just so that you'll miss out Her life and her son's life, they're on the line. This is the last meal they're going to eat. But if she goes away and she's obedient, and she doesn't have fear, see, the prophet knew he had to address the one thing that was going to try and rob her from the miracle God was going to do, fear. But because she had faith, because she was obedient, Verse 15 and 16 says, So she went away 
did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. What we see is we see faith at work. Faith at work. Because there was food for the woman, there was food for Elijah, and the Bible says there was food for her household, her family. And this could indicate that there was more than just her son that maybe was depending on her, or maybe there was more that she could invite into her household and feed them based on this flour and this oil being sustained and keeping them. See, there was enough to give to her extended family. All of those people that were affected by the drought. Let me tell you something. Givers are not created when they finally have enough to give. This woman and her heart for God, her faith in God, her faith in the prophet, her willingness to give and to sacrifice, it wasn't established in that one moment. Her willingness to give was created long before she found herself in a drought and she found her and her son creating their last meal. Givers are not created when they finally have enough to give. They are usually givers long before they ever have enough to give. God used this widow woman's faith, this mom's faith, to overcome overwhelming odds for their family, for the prophet. And if you don't get anything else today out of what I'm saying, God can use your faith to overcome the odds that this world has put in front of you, put in front of your family, put in front of your children. The the overwhelming odds. It's tough being a parent today. It's tough being an example today. It is tough to walk by faith and not by sight today. It is difficult to live after the Spirit today. There are so many conflicting voices. There are so many things trying to rob our attention. There are so many things trying to introduce fear into us and say, no, this is the way the world works. When God's saying, no, I don't operate according to the world's laws. I'm operating according to my own pattern that I set whenever I choose to. Notice this woman, she never had any precedent for oil being continually poured out from the same vessel. This is the first time this miracle ever happened. She never had any precedent for someone going continually to the same flower pot, putting their hand in and finding meal in there. She never had that. She just had to trust that God would do exactly what he said he would do. Her faith overcame the odds. You know, it's interesting. You go on, you read just a couple verses later. Her son dies. Her son dies. What that shows me is that just because we have faith doesn't mean challenges aren't going to come up. But when that son dies, she goes to the prophet, and Elijah, he's surprised himself. He's surprised that her son has died. But he goes in there, goes into that child child's laying there and he stretches himself out over the child 
begins to pray. Now, Elijah had no, this is the first time that anyone's ever going to be raised from the dead in Scripture. Elijah had no example before that. As a matter of fact, it was probably the reason he stretched out over the body is because they believed that as long as there was heat for the body, that maybe life would come back. They didn't fully understand that heartbeat and things like that. So he stretches out over the body and he's laying on this boy and he begins to pray. And again, God answers faith. Faith will overcome all of the overwhelming odds. You'll stand with me. And I know I said a lot about mothers today, but I want to say that the reality, the truth is faith, it works for everyone. It works for mothers, it works for fathers, it works for husbands, it works for wives, it works for everyone. Faith is the only thing that overcomes the overwhelming odds. So what is it in your life right now that is overwhelming you? The odds are stacked not in your favor. You feel like you're making the uphill climb trying to get over the top of this and there's fear all around you that you're not going to make it, that you can't do it, that there's no answer. Faith. Faith. Do not fear. Just have faith and obey. Have faith and obey. Can we entertain the presence of the Lord that's here right now for just a moment? God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. You see every person here. You see the situation they find themselves in. Lord, I pray should strengthen their faith. God, give us faith to believe you in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. For a 